0: This podcast is offered by Jokoji Zen Center, on the web at jokoji.org. Our programs are made possible by donations from people like you.
1: So good morning all, and welcome. Can you all hear me now? Okay, good. Um, so good to see um, some new people come in to our Sunday our Sunday event at Jikoji Sunday event, a community open. And so I wanted to say hi to, uh, hi to Judy and hi to Hogan. Good to see you. And, um, and welcome to everyone, those uh, who have been with us uh, and those who are coming for the Sunday talk. We are on the second day of the annual Nehane that for several years now Jikoji and the Floating Zendo have been doing together. It's a really wonderful um, seshin, the usual seven days, and um, we're very happy that we can all be together for it. Um, So what we're doing for this seshin is we are um, Practicing with Shanti Deva's guide to the Bodhisattva's way of life and with our Bodhisattva vows, and seeing what all of that can guide us to and help us with. Um, so, his, his insights are, are guiding us, and at least so far, and, um, and we're practicing with what he what he has offered in his beautiful book of poetry uh, from the eighth century. And we're practicing in a particular way that we're doing a, a, a reading of some selected verses from each of the chapters, the 10 chapters. And, um, and then we are having Dharma reflections and contemplations. So this, today we will be doing that at three o'clock in the afternoon and if you wanted a taste of that, you're welcome to join us at that time. Uh, that's what we do is uh, I read the verses and we're all muted so you can read them um, aloud on the screen if you, like to, if you like to read aloud. That's a very nice way to sort of integrate it into the body, have the sound come in through your own voice. Um, but you can follow along as you wish and then then we sit with that a bit, and then we reflect back what we remember and what really, what really dropped in for us. So, um, Shanti Deva, I find as a really big help to, with with his his really ca- his candid uh, self awareness, uh, and and he the way he. Um, writes about himself as, a, as, as an ordinary person, but who has been touched by this aspiration for bodhicitta. And, um, and, and I find that's really helpful to, to help navigate this large and complex everyday world we live in. Because Shantideva lived in a similar kind of world, even though he spent some time in a, in a monastery. Um, where he actually wrote this text. Um, but w- we and Shantideva too at the time was, we're all being human beings subject to forces which we don't have any control over uh, and including the big one, death. So Shantideva touches on that. So I'll give a little background for the for the Folks who are joining for the uh, Sunday talk uh, covered some of this yesterday, so this will be brief, but he, Shantideva, was a prince who was called to Buddhist practice. We don't know the exact circumstances, but the story is that Manjushri, um, the bodhisattva of wisdom and insight was a key figure for him, and he felt touched by Manjushri and um, ended up at Nalanda, the great university of the time um, the Buddhists say it was the largest in the world and had the largest library uh, and while he was there he was he was always kind of a misfit and he was teased uh, by the monks who were in his immediate area there are 10,000 monks so it's quite a large complex but he was really teased almost to the point of being bullied and um, he didn't he didn't one one reason he, he was teased was he didn't want to participate in their uh, conceptual kind of dharma combats and things like that. So so they, they were all studying and then discoursing and having talks with one another and arguments and and he didn't participate in those. So they thought he was lazy and you know had a nickname for him, Eats. They called him the ones close to him, eat, sleep, shit. That was his nickname. And then they challenged him to, uh, they said, oh, well, maybe we haven't been giving you enough credit, you know." which was all just sort of a joke on him to, to, to give them a talk about what he had been studying or what he had learned or what he had been doing. And then they set it up. So they built this huge platform that uh, was like maybe two stories high and they took the ladders away and they said here's your lovely dharma seat so please give us the talk from there and um and then as the myth goes manjushri came down in a bolt of lightning and just lowered the dharma seat to the ground so that shantideva could step up and uh, give his talk which was this i've forgotten the number of quatrains at this moment but more or less 150 pages in translation of um the guide to the Bodhisattva's way of life, just out like that. So, um, background for this work a little bit, and he, he, Shantideva does a few remarkable things here. I think he reveals himself to have a a, a deep understanding of emptiness, as well as a uh, a deep understanding of living in the world and how those work together so um and also their inseparable application to our sufferings and our problems in the world every day so he's both practical and he uses he's quite practical actually he's like a, a kind of a can do kind of a guy. I almost have this image of him as being somebody, like people I know at Jikoji, some residents who just like get in there and fix what needs to be fixed or do what needs to be done, and um, and, and 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 practice deep dharma. So uh, practice their their way of being, um, being really authentic in the dharma. So. Um, He uses the paramitas as kind of his his way to guide us in to uh, the qualities of um, generosity and ethics and um, 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 patience, zeal or enthusiasm or sometimes called effort. So all of these terms for the paramitas have a lot of different um, translations or or words that could be applicable and they highlight one aspect or another. So that's a very interesting study in itself, um, but the effort that's required to really practice leading to meditation, the practice of meditation itself, and ultimately to prajna, to wisdom, to emptiness. So he he always points in all of his chapters, there are 10, uh, to ways to overcome our self-centeredness and our our forgetfulness, how easy it is for us to slip into unawareness and just go back to habit of largely self-centeredness. And he points to to examining um, how strong these habits are and again, again and again, in a humble way, he, he confesses his faults um, often and in, in almost every chapter, um, not the dedication, but even in the wisdom chapter he does. Um, and, and how ultimately we can look at these These as as if we are Buddhist practitioners, we know our habits um, devolve down to greed, anger, and delusion. And just the the power of being aware of these. So he reminds us again that um, the way to the bodhisattva's way of life is um, through self-awareness and meditation and reflection, and um, self-honesty, really being clear with ourselves, uh, not equivocating, not like, well, I didn't, I really didn't, I, that wasn't, I didn't really mean to say that or do that. That wasn't really me. And so, kind of fessing up and being. Being truly humble, like when we chant that in the, in the metta-sutta. Really not elevating self over other. And also through vulnerability, through sharing our, or manifesting, if you will. Um, saying, okay, this is the way I am. And not necessarily putting that on anyone else. Although we all share all those ways, actually. All the manifestations of greed, hatred, and delusion um, are common to all of us ordinary beings. So he talks about the way that if we continue to practice with dedication and with humility and self-awareness, we are led to the realization that we are not separated from everything else. We are, we are not just isolated bits of protoplasm, but we are inseparable from, for everything. So this is Shantideva's vast vision of emptiness. I mean, in Buddhist terms, you could say perhaps um, Dharmakaya Or you could say in scientific term, astrophysics, you could say cosmic, you could say, you know, everything. Um, Ultimately, everything is connected with everything. And we tend to uh, built into our evolution, our development as creatures, um, sentient creatures, our our particular take or form of being sentient creatures, we tend to separate. Other creatures, sentient creatures have this too. And others, as we it was brought up in our discussion yesterday, uh, in the plant kingdom, have more of a tendency to um, reach out, kind of natively. We also have that tendency. That's deep. That's really where Shanti Davis takes us. But we um, we get lost in the habits. We get lost in the layers that are on top because of. Um, It's not really even so important because of what, but keep keep remembering as Shantideva keeps reminding us that we are not separate and pointing to the ways that we can see that we're not separate and act on those ways. Shantideva is also ecstatic. He's writing poetry. And in the tradition of the Mahayana, the great Mahayana Sutras, such as the Lotus Sutra, or the Avatamsaka that Chikoji presented a beautiful program of in December at Rohatsu Sashin. So I'd like to give you a little taste of Shantideva and read some of the uh, verses that we have read or will be reading. Um, It says, So in chapter two, which is what we'll be reading later today, the the translation I'm using calls that purifying negativity. Um, Other other translations call it confessions to sin, confessing sins. So once again, there are a lot of different ways you you can translate these words and they will have resonance for some and not for others. So from chapter two, purifying negativity, To maintain this precious mind of bodhicitta, I make excellent offerings to the oceans of good qualities, the Buddhas, the stainless jewel of the holy Dharma, and the assembly of bodhisattvas. However many flowers and fruits there are, and all the different types of medicine, all the jewels there are in the world, and all the pure refreshing waters, holding these in my mind, I offer them well to the supreme beings, the Buddhas and Bodhisattvas. Oh, compassionate ones, holy objects of offering. Think of me kindly and accept what I offer. So, um, so he has that side, and he also has this... Uh, very humble and honest side, where he shows us that facing facing his shortcomings um, is helping him to to stay on to stay in the way of the bodhisattva, which we recite in our vows um, whenever the occasion arises. Too many times. Um, and also the way to go beyond them. So he has this combination of, um, like a co- he's a complex human being. He's, he's quite relatable in that way, like we all are. We all have these different sides. And, uh, and he brings together a lot of wonderful ones, this ecstatic poet and, and this very humble person who knows like, well, I'm just, I'm just trying to figure it out and figure out what's the best way that I can really touch my deepest heart and help, other, and help others. So I'd like to read another couple of verse, uh, verses from this chapter where he talks about in that more humble mode. Whatever harmful acts of body, speech and mind I have done in a disturbed mental state toward the three jewels of refuge, my parents, my spiritual guides, and others. And all the grave wrongs done by me, so thoroughly vile and polluted, with an abundance of faults, I openly declare to the guides of the world. The guides of the world are the Buddhas and the Bodhisattvas. And throughout this text, the kind of guiding light is um, bodhicitta, that aspiration for compassionate enlightenment is what Chantideva calls it. So I'll read that one. Um, This is from chapter one. An Explanation of the Benefits of Bodhicitta. Thus, while our virtues are mostly weak, our non-virtues are extremely strong and fearsome. Other than bodhicitta, a compassionate mind wishing for enlightenment, what virtue can overcome the heaviest evils? And lest it all sound because we're just selecting here a bit, <laughs> lest it all sound, um, you know, like it's just like, oh yeah, well we're also we're also bad and we need to get over it. Um, he also says somewhere else that bodhicitta, at, which uh, which I think, like I could guess anyway, that we all have touched in some way, and that's we are here. Um, we have all touched that aspiration for realization of our deepest nature in a compassionate way and to help, and to, that, that spreads out to others. In a way, it's not even helping others, like we're an agent. It just uh, is that part of us that comes up naturally, as we discussed a little bit yesterday in chapter one, the benefits, because this is one of the benefits. Um, he also points to the joy, a lot he points to the joy of bodhicitta. And I'll read a, one little verse about that. Which is from the next chapter, to, which is called Generating, Engaging, bodhicitta. that bodhicitta where we actually um, bring forth this this aspiration into the world. So he says here, with delight I rejoice in the ocean of virtue that arises from generating the mind of enlightenment, bodhicitta, which brings happiness to all living beings and in the deeds that benefit those beings. He goes on as the as the verses go on, as the book goes on, to r- remind us of the power of perseverance, the power of meditation, uh, and all the paramitas. And um, I guess in a kind of a <laughs> of a one-line way or summary way, one could say that he reminds us most of the power of not giving up and the power of not being selfish. That's kind of what, what what it comes down to with Shantideva over and over again in different ways because different things strike us at different times, different words different uh, places we are in our lives. So definitely uh, a wonderful wonderful book to refresh ourselves with. And he also continually reminds us that we're not in control, and especially of our death. The time is fleeting. That's one of the, the poetic tropes that he uses, that poets have used from, you know, ever, ever since there have been poems recorded in literary history. Um, so he reminds us of that. And, uh, and I'm, gonna, I'm gonna segue into my time is up now and uh, I'd like to hear what, what you have to say about what, we've, what I've spoken about from Shantideva today. So please unmute yourself if you're moved to speak. And I can call your name if I can see you, but some people are on a different page, so just speak up.
2: Um, Carolyn,
3: um, I think more than anything, I was just, the, the way you talked about his life and who he was and where he came for being at that, uh, I guess, Buddhist university seemed like a pretty big one. Um, do you know anything else about him and where he went afterwards or uh, it's, it's sort of a, I guess what I'm asking is more biographical stuff I mean he he just sounds real intriguing that he somehow wasn't caught up and but somehow he's just able to be himself in that environment which is probably a university with 10,000 people studying to be Buddhas is probably their um, well, a fair amount of affected behavior, but I don't know. So, <laughs> <laughs> okay. but, you know, know about us. So
1: okay, Randy, thank you. <laughs> there's a little, there's a little bit that that I know, and um, I I think you're uh, well from my experience of friends who are academic professors. Yes, the academic life is competitive, and it can get. It can get pretty, you know, mean spirited. So, um, but a lot that I know is just I have not read a biography, and I think I don't even know if there is one. I think there are people who do commentaries, and they put in biographical bits, and I've read some of those. But uh, he's a bit of a mystery. The early life is better known. He was a prince, and he. Um. um and he was going to be a king. And Tom, who was with us today, was with us yesterday, he unearthed this story uh, was, and I had written in my notes, I'd forgotten to say it, but um, that, that he knew he didn't want to be a king and somehow he had heard of Manjushri and Manjushri appeared to him in a dream. And that's when he left, uh, left home and you know, went off and found, found his way into the university, barely making the entrance exam. Um, but, uh, and then the part there's, there's, you know, more kind of details, but it's that part is fairly historical, but, um, but then after he leaves the university, there are a few more stories about how people kind of bullied him and teased him. And, but it's, there's one piece that he, that he bounced around a bit, he, he, he did this he did this remarkable thing and even wrote it down um, and and yet then kind of left that life and was was a was a, a secretary to another king or w- worked in another court or a Buddhist a Buddhist kind of king figure who's I, so this part is not so clear to me whether it's mythology or history and then there are stories that he, Somehow took his verses to Tibet, because the Tibetans are very uh, keen on Shantideva, and the, some of their saints and their um, their uh, uh, um, rinpoches and other saintly figures like Milarepa and people like that um, knew about Shantideva. So I that's that's really all I could say. I didn't know anymore.
3: Okay. Okay, great.
2: Thanks.
4: Thank you for the talk. I'm really enjoying Shantideva again. And um, it's fun to, it's like a spiral, his poetry for me. What comes up for me is how um, profound it is to say that we have nothing to offer really until we offer it first to ourselves, that we really can't show up for other people unless we show up for ourselves in a deep way that this vulnerability and introspection has to be done as a, it's an inside job. That, that what we have to do is with ourselves and that that's where the work is. And it just strikes me that part of doing that inside work is obviously zazen, but it's also Sangha that, you know, letting yourself be seen just the way you are. Um, letting yourself, you know, fully show up for what's happening, not hiding, not, um, not pretending that you're really all in when you're not all in, really being seen. It's uh, a profound thing, I think, it's, and it's not easy. So that's what comes up for me.
1: Beautiful, thank you. This is his, um, this is his, yes, like the confessions, like the deep insight that other figures who got to this place of really showing up, what you point to is so so true of Shanti Deva. Thank you for really emphasizing that. Uh, first, us, first, me, little old me. <laughs> and then um, it's deep, as you said too, it's deep. I mean, remember? Remember? <laughs> one year, remember one year old? <laughs> one and a half? <laughs> it's uh, we, we, we kind of we want to be seen and yet we don't want to be seen. So that's another thing he points to about like uh the humility piece of um sometimes we want to be seen and it shows up like, well, I know everything, you know, I'm I'm the teacher, I'm the whatever, I'm on the yeah. So beautiful, thank you. Sangha and and not the the Maha Sangha, the everyone and everything in the world Sangha as well. Michael.
0: Yeah, he just, um, yeah, thank you for the talk and the series of talks. Um, I mean, he writes in the, the eighth century, but you know, his stuff's very modern. I mean, to me this, I mean, he's just like saying the same things that, we're all trying to do all the time, every day. I mean, he he was literate, which I guess was a rarity back then, and he, and he, and he, um, and he wrote down a guide to progress in, in poetry. But I mean, if you, when you read it, at first the language is, you know, a little stilted, but then you start reading it a little more, and you're like, whoa, these are exactly what we should be doing all the time. Like, I like Chapter 7, Rely Upon Effort. Effort is a mind that delights in virtue. It's opponents of the laziness of indul- indolence, the laziness of being uh, attracted to non-virtuous actions and the laziness of discouragement. I mean, that's, I fight that every day. <laughs> I fight all these things every day, every day, you know? And it's nice that he he did this all this, so modern all this time ago, you know? Um, you know, I do like that, I like that quite a bit. Um, and, and, you know, when we do these vows, this is what we, what's the Bodhisattva way, I mean, save all beings i mean i don't in my wildest dreams think i save anyone but myself you know but saving all beings i guess could mean you know doing your best all the time um sharing what you have you know not being selfish with it teaching someone to meditate maybe but i mean um Saving all beings, yes, that's a tricky business, isn't it? It doesn't, um, I just do my best, you know? That's all I can't think of, I mean, I, I say these things, I say these things, and but you know, saving all beings, I mean, what, I should go out and feed everybody or something, but <laughs> uh, teach teach uh, meditation to homeless, that would be a way, I mean, that is kind of, you can do small things, I guess. I can't save all beings, I can save myself and maybe in that way I can promote better things. I mean, uh, you know, everything we do has an effect on even the small things. So I guess in my little way, I can contribute to that. But when I try to think of the giant picture, save all beings, I just get lost. But I like the way he writes about this because he's writing about all the small things, all the small things we need to do. You know, there's nothing mystical here. It's not like pie in the sky myst- mystical at all. It's very practical down the down to earth advice. So uh thank you.
1: Thank you, Michael, for bringing in the yeah, the bodhisattva vow about that. And what what I learned from Angie, my teacher, was that that Koben. Used to say, uh, who founded the Chikoji Used to say, um, yes, they all beings are you. So exactly what you said, Michael. <laughs> you, you, um, and and there's a way that you point to um, everyday activities. A couple of things came up for me as you as you spoke so well. Uh, the the everyday activities and including with so mindfulness can play self-awareness can play a huge part in that. Even the way you wash the dishes or whatever seemingly mundane task that you are undertaking, which is one of the great things about going to uh, an in-person sashin is that you, you get to really focus on all of the small details of everyday life and see how you are in relation to them. And the other thing that you really pointed out so well was how modern this is. And in fact, it's almost like, uh, I, I have a background in literature. And so I read it with a certain kind of eye um, or, you know, mind. Um, and it's almost even a little bit postmodern <laughs> because he he talks about, he uses the, the, the um, he uses the, the narrator that he he flips around I and you like he talks to himself and but he's talking to you and so it's it's a very interesting read as literature too uh, but they but he, he he's yeah really um really great guy to hang out with thank you so much Michael Yes. Uh,
2: it's John here at Jacoji. John. Hi. Um, um, thank you for um, uh, helping us with uh, Shanti Deva. Um, I, I found it pretty challenging uh, uh, to read, try to read on my own, but Angie, of course, has helped me quite a lot. And, um, and it's helpful to. Um, study and, and read in Sangam. Uh, on on the point that Michael was just touching on the uh, uh, part of it, actually, is um, related. Um, when when we're doing the rogue chant that you've um, selected for us to chant here, um, there's a phrase which is. Um, um, I, I vow to beings are numberless. I vow to be with them, is the way it's phrased. To be with them. Uh, which is a, a slightly different phrasing from vowing to save them. Um, and uh, when I think of all beings, I think there's a past, present, and future, aspect of them. There are beings of the past which we honor and there are beings of the present which we um, see as ourselves and there are beings of the future which we can consider in our actions. We, We can consider what our actions will what the results of our actions will bring to to beings of the future. And uh, so I guess um, um, my question to you is um, these different phrasings of, I vow to save them, I vow to free them, I vow to be with them. Are those just like um, different facets of the same jewel of the vow? Can can we consider them that way?
1: Thank you, John. I think we could uh, in that language is Um, words are all metaphors. Every word is a metaphor. It's never the thing itself. It's, or to use the old um, finger, po- it's only the finger pointing to the moon. Each word, but it's, but words also help us. Words also give us um, give us pointers. So that sometimes, which we need actually. Um, so I, I think you could say that they are, um, that they're different aspects and different, different uh, certainly in Zen centers, just my small knowledge of Zen centers in, in the United States. I don't even know anything about J- Japanese Zen centers, really what vows, um, they say, how different they are, but um, different centers will have different variations of n- not only, but every chant, really, the heart sutra, everything. So, so people find the different ways. And I mentioned yesterday, um, Angie encouraged me at one point to, I said, these aren't really resonating. And maybe that was when we were still using save uh, uh, I don't remember, but it was a long time ago, but um, she encouraged me to sort of put together my own version of the vows, which I did for a few years. Um, So I think that's one to answer your question. However, I was most struck by your bringing in um, the three times. That's really beautiful. Thank you so much for bringing that in the um, how we, how we stand and are, are, are carried by our ancestors, which we chant here in a specific way um, every morning at service, but we're, we're really carried as the creatures we are as human beings by everyone going back to Lucy and even before our primate ancestors, and you could even go to our unicellular ancestors if you wanted to. So that's hugely important to, re- and that helps in humility to remember that we are not. It's not just us who are inventing it and saving pe- beings, and and also the present, keeping present uh, with all the beings that are around us. And certainly, we see there. There are many. Opportunities in the world we live in for doing whatever we are feel we can and are genuinely called to to help other beings with compassion, as Shanti Davis says. And then you also point to the future, how we can keep an awareness from for that too, how our actions will affect other beings going forward. Certainly something that is, um, that there's uh, a real need for awareness, mindfulness about that. So thank you so much, John, for, um, for bringing these things in for us.
5: Hello. Jackie. Hi, thank you for your talk. It's been really, really interesting. And um, I I pass my time as a writer. I, I write a lot. And this morning I was thinking about two different projects I could take up. And the bodhisattva vows, I don't know how to deal with being a writer. And the bodhisattva vows because it feels very internal to me. But one project is more of a public benefit project and the other project is more of a deeply self-satisfying spiritual journey kind of project. How do we know which is which is the one? You know, how do we, uh, how do we prioritize or how do you just, why are we not just all giving up everything and going and helping beings and refugees and poor people and you know how how do you draw limits or how do you choose basically that i think that's my question how do you how do you know which is the way to go
1: thank you for that question that's a question that i think I think that everyone has. I certainly have it myself. Um, It's a. How how do we choose? So, choices are. Choices are, part of our path. Part of. I mean, we need. We have to make choices just to, just to keep alive on a very basic, simple level. You know. Um, but how do we choose uh, when we are feel called to do to do several things or two things? And, and you've narrowed it down at least for this discussion to those things. Um, it it requires. I mean, I, I can't answer for anyone. Each of us that will need to, and you will need to know what really just. Dis- deep self-reflection, um, so self-honesty and what is calling you most? In one way, um, you could say, we could use a phrase discriminating wisdom. And then we could also say, wonder, why are we making this separate? You know, why are we separating this from that? So, um, so that might be a reflection that's interesting. Is, um, is this uh, so selfish? We, another aspect of your question, it wasn't, I didn't hear it directly, but we do need to have boundaries. We do need to set boundaries and people can get in trouble, especially caregiver, people who are um, activists, for example, can just get burned out or because there's so much. I mean, the example of Simone Weil, I mean, that's one way to go, right? The, um, the Jewish woman in, in Second World War in France who became a Catholic and then basically starved herself to death to, um, because of the war effort and so many people were hungry. So my way of reading that is, is that way and others could, could take another way to read her, her life, which is a very reductive way I put it. But as an example of boundaries, we do need to make boundaries and say, what is our best use of uh, where we are? and maybe really getting deeply in touch with what calls us the most. That can take a long time. I'll give another example that comes to mind now. Um, for quite a while, I practiced uh, insight, uh, an early early Buddhist uh, sort of tradition, sutta-based um, tradition, and the, uh, the an amazing figure, contemporary figure. Uh, in that world is Bhikkhu Bodhi who was translated, he's like translated this encyclopedia of Pali suttas which are like the sutras, it's the Pali language word for sutra. Um, and he he was very private and did, but although he, he'd done this, he, he's in his 70s now, he had done this for many years, these translations and done his retreat, long retreats and et cetera, et cetera but he was very private. And then at a certain point, he decided to start a foundation to help, uh, to help certain groups that he had come in contact with in Sri Lanka and in Southeast Asia where he practiced. And I heard him give a talk in person about that years ago. And he talked about his, um, he said, I just wasn't ready to do the work of the world in that way until now I am.
5: <laughs>
1: so again okay, we each have to we each have to figure that out. It's a very, it's a very deep question. Thank you, Jackie.
6: Karen? I just wanted to um, tack on to that because you brought up the insight meditation or insight uh, teachers. Um, I, for some reason it jumped into my head something that, um, another insight meditation teacher, Rodney, Rodney Smith said, um, I used to listen to everything he said <laughs> and, um, he was just on a much smaller scale, you know, making this decision about whether to take a bath or not. <laughs> and um, you know, it was just like, uh, you know, the decadence of this bath, should I be taking a bubble bubble bath every night or um, maybe I shouldn't be doing that. <laughs> and it was, and he, his his uh, offering was that if by taking this bath that will, that will somehow help with the stress and and actually make me a better person f- for others then maybe it is a good a decision to make to take the bath you know I don't know I just wanted to scale it down to uh, every time there is sort of a community aspect or you know just smaller decisions <laughs> anyway. <laughs>
1: Thank you, Karen.
6: That's
1: very that's, that's wonderful. It's yeah. even if it's not a community decision, even if it's a decision just for ourselves, it's, it's like always to ask those questions and then to trust ourselves. And once we do it, the other thing that Chanti Deva does, which we will get into more and more during the week as Sasheen, is uh, he's constantly, Falling off the horse or falling off the wagon, or do he's 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 really candid and humble about like you're gonna fail, fail better, you know, just so don't give up. (laughs) Mm -hmm. You could you could make the wrong decision and it might might take you a while to get back to another thing, but it won't, nothing is ever lost or wasted. we have to trust ourselves because when we, it, it's, it's easy to shade into beating ourselves up, which is a very strong form of, of being selfish, of self-creating, of self-reifying, of making the self separate from other. So we don't wanna go there if we can help it at all. <laughs> Thank you for bringing in that in. And Rodney Smith, fabulous teacher. <laughs>
0: Thank you for listening to this podcast offered by Jokoji Zen Center. Our Dharma talks are offered free of charge, and this is made possible by the donations we receive. Your support helps us to continue to offer the Dharma. For more information about Jokoji, please visit us on the web at jokoji.org.